Well, hello there, SE land. This here's Twig, Anthony Twig Wheeler. This is episode number 65 of Twig's SE Reflections. Pendulation, is it enough? That's the question today. Pendulation, is it enough? And after the last two episodes, episode 63 and episode 64, looking at pendulation from different kinds of angles, this here, I think this will be my last time touching on this topic for a little while. Pendulation, is it enough? Is it the thing? Is it the answer? Is it what makes, you know, the session successful? What makes your course of SE therapy with somebody successful? Is it the all, the totality? Well, you know, um, in a, in a word, no, no, you know, not, no, you know, we didn't, we didn't call, we didn't call it the John Lennon show or the John Lennon band. It was the Beatles for whatever, you know, whatever that's worth. People have a thing that John was something special inside of that. Other people see it differently, I'm, I'm sure. But, you know, it was the whole thing and John. And it wouldn't have been the Beatles without John. And John wouldn't have been the Beatles. When, when you make a fire by friction, a fire without matches in old, old ways. There's two steps to it. One is where you take two sticks and you kind of rub them together. It turns out you don't, well, actually some of them that you do just kind of rub them together, scratching, but usually it's twirling, twisting, spinning, spinning, and that increases the friction as the two sticks rub together. And it, it kind of grinds that twisting, grinding motion turns the wood, specific kinds of, of wood that you can collect from the world, will kind of grind at hot temperatures and become what we call a coal, like, um, like black coal, but it's, it's like a, or you think of a coal at the end of a fire. So we think of this at the beginning of a fire lighting as a coal, an ember, um, not quite an ember yet, it's just a coal, and it will glow red coming close to an ember, and it's dust at that point. And it's a little, you kind of, when you make this grinding powder thing, you collect the powder, and it gets hot, turns smoky, turns glowing red like an ember, and now you transfer this powdery, dusty, hot, you know, little, very, very fragile entity. And you transfer that into what they call a bird's nest or a kind of an, a tinder bundle where you have a collection of, say, dried grass or the inner bark of a tree or, or something that's been shredded and refined so that the the material is is very fine and is going to catch that that heat in in that that ember that glow from the coal and transfer it and you'll be able to build that up until you can as they say blow it into flame and once you can blow it into flame 
then you can put this bird's nest sized bundle of grass, say dried grass as, a, as an example, and you can now move that as flame into a collection of twigs or, you know, very small, fine kindling. Something to turn the flame from there, turn up the heat as it were, and move it to bigger pieces of wood and have a fire. Well, there's several parts of that and several transitions to that, that if they're not done accurately, if they're, if they're not the thing, you know, if I, it's like, oh, well, we don't have a glowing coal here. We're never going to transfer this dust if it doesn't get to that glowing red, hot, smoky place. If we don't ever get to that spot, it's never going to help us to take the dust and put it inside of the tinder bundle and try to blow it into flame. These are sequential steps that build on one another and are dependent for, you know, the ultimate success of the process. And there is something of a process. You can't just put two sticks and have them look at each other and say, I want to fire now. You have to go through and things have to happen. You have to kind of change the world from the way it is on its own before you can have this fire. Well, you know, it's the Beatles had to go off to Germany and work night after night after night after night after night. They they did hundreds of shows in a year just getting their chops down. There were things that they had to do, and they needed every component in there. And some of them, it's true, some of them are somehow somehow more special than others. In lighting the fire, the really special one is getting those two sticks to twirl or spin or rub hard enough and fast enough that they not only grind one another, but grind each other into a hot enough powder that that powder will kind of start to collect heat and eventually combust. For that to happen, you got to have just the right conditions. And the person making the fire might have to do all kinds of adjustments in order to well, in order to make this thing that doesn't really want to happen, I mean, it's not really going to happen on its own. It, it really is something that can happen and, you know, you can make it happen. You could kind of even say it's totally within the realm of it, you know, these, it was almost like this should happen, but you'll have to do it. You'll have to rub these sticks in this right way and you'll have to make these adjustments if maybe your wood is not exactly ideal or has a, you know, a poor combination, doesn't make it so easy to happen. You'll have to bring in some experience and make some adjustments to help it eventually be successful. I don't know what the parallel there for the Beatles is, but you know, maybe, maybe they had to change their gig for different shows in order to make it work right. Well, here's our pendulation, right? Here's our, here's our session. Here's our element of experience. Here's our thing that uh, has called attention. You know, what do you notice now as we're sitting here and we're talking, what do you become aware of now? As you're, as, you're, as you're telling me about that story there, and, and did you notice that we get a little bit more excited? Are you able to notice anything about how you notice that excitement right now? You know, we ask these questions, and we, we find things that people are aware of at the least, if not yet 
actively interested in. Eventually, we want them to be interested. If we're going to ask them to pay attention to it and track it, we hope that they'll be interested. But at first, you know, we're just kind of entering into the, is this going to be something we track? And is this going to be something that we pay attention to? And is this thing going to pendulate? As per episode 63, is this going to pendulate? Well, as you go in and find elements of experience, uh, what do you what do you notice now? Well, I, I see this this darkness. Or what do you notice now? Well, I I feel this this vibration. Or what do you see now? I I have this kind of upwelling of sadness and kind of some kind of pressure, or kind of fullness behind my eyes. You know, those would be great if you could get some feedback of a seed like those, you know, that a person could say what they notice of something like that, that you could then go through a series of questions with inside of yourself and a kind of a process with, with them, which will include as a heart's desire, the experience of pendulation, like that, that this thing will become oscillatory, that it will kind of express some kind of change, that the change that it expresses will be associated, that there'll be some relevancy. You'll be able to notice that tingling, and that tingling will change, or some relationship to it will happen, or this tension will happen, and it will pendulate, that tension will move something, it will become more so that it can pull a joint closer together, two muscles pulling, or a muscle pulling against two joints pulls it closer together. Maybe that tension will increase and pull the joint, or maybe it'll increase and then hit a certain threshold where it says, oh, that was as much as I wanted to do, and then pendulate and start to back off as though pendulation is a excitation deactivation kind of thing. Or is pendulation a tightening, releasing kind of thing? Or is it a, I don't know, it's, it's so many different kinds of things that has just the sense of associated change. It's more and less. It's, I like it, I don't like it. It's a rise and fall. It's, yeah, it almost always is some kind of rise and fall. But it's also just some kind of change, like, for example, tingling or twitching or vibration. Maybe it's more like tingling, vibration, twitching. Maybe, maybe, I wouldn't say that this is always the case, but maybe those exist on a continuum. And by having more energy in the tingling, you get vibration. And having more organization and more energy inside the vibration, you get twitching. And maybe inside of twitching and more organization there and more of itself, you get little kind of like floppy business, you know? Not that you need to get to any one of those. There might be a certain right amount along the way, threshold-wise. But there's a kind of a rise of that. And then, well, that changes or moves or goes away pendulation. It's like over to this side, over to that side, up over here, and then down over there in relationship to one another. Don't be exhaustive.
I'm not going to try and be exhaustive. I'm going to move on. So here is this element of experience. And there is some heart's desire, like the star of the show, is that this could become something that pendulates. For that to happen, we've looked a little bit in the last two episodes at how it might very well be that the practitioner and or the client needs to negotiate the balance of attention on what we pay attention to or what the client pays attention to or what their nervous system perceives so that the support for pendulation comes forward rather than for many of our clients the likelihood the likelihood that given too much free attention the current patterns will reinforce themselves out of their basically habituated attraction to either itself just because things get repetitive or because it's attractive because it feels bad and in some way that danger signal is itself attractive in the same way that a novel sound or a flicker of a shadow across the periphery of our vision is its own signal of potential danger that calls our attention spontaneously and will hold it as long as it could be dangerous to us. So that may be an element of our experience. It's all, I see black, I see black. And we, maybe our client or in this moment, in a moment of a session, experiences that as dangerous. Well, the attraction becomes the black and the unlikely thing to notice is that there's black and something else in there right you notice it's black and at the same time as you notice it's black maybe you see if you can kind of check out the periphery of it is it all black or does it change in some way or as you look into it is it all black or is there some that's more black or less black than others and by bringing in an intervention so as to as I might think of expand the pendulation terrain. That's how I think of that and talk about that in my language guide. But as you know, to kind of expand what a person pays attention to and to try to see if you can find some elements of difference so that there will be some opportunity for pendulation. And you know, as soon as you've gone into that kind of question, rather than, oh, black, just let the black happen, where you would maybe just promoting the idea oh black an element let's see it pendulate but here we have this discernment will it pendulate so we ask ourselves will it pendulate well all black not enough notice of difference there not much indication of pendulation I'm probably gonna have to come in and do something in order to help this be more likely to pendulate and at the first of that would be establishing that there are different things to pay attention to and as we move into the dynamic of how much we do, how much we encourage the attention to help find the balance that will support pendulation. There's, there's a hundred different little trails in there. You know, sometimes you, you really just tell people what to do. I, I remember, I remember a really important session in, at Esalen of Peter Levine working with a a really splendid woman that was taking a kind of just a weekend thing, a weekend workshop with Bessel van der Kolk and, and Peter. And she came up for a demonstration session. And understandably, um, 
as she would try to relax, her body would have like a tendency to tighten up a little bit, which would then make it so that the signal for relaxation for that signal of pendulation to happen and go from like a little bit up to down, when it come through, it would get disrupted, right? What might in Steve Hoskinson's organic intelligence language might think of that as phase three, like a failure to complete because of a reactivation, yeah? And Peter did this really nice thing that is rare, I think, in, in my book, um, where he, he kind of leaned forward and he just said, you know, there are these muscles right here along your neck, and every time you exhale, I don't think you know it, but you, you tighten those muscles accidentally or inadvertently. And what that does is it makes things tighten back up again. And I wonder if as you are just kind of exhaling and, and kind of being with that, if you just try to see if you can relax your neck muscles right along here. And of course, he was talking about the scalene muscles, which are muscles that go from the transverse processes in our neck down to the upper ribs, which are kind of hidden behind our clavicle. Those upper one and two ribs are these really tiny little ribs up inside. And we don't often think about those or notice those because they're hidden underneath the shoulder girdle and the clavicle area. But they they actually have this nice thing where they're they're kind of they're tied to the to the upper lobe of the lungs. And there's this kind of interesting thing that in the stress response when we're in sympathetic activation, kind of running for our lives, those scalene muscles tighten and become, I think, what they call secondary breathing muscles and tighten lifting those ribs, which then lifts the upper lobes of the pleura of the, you know, the lungs. So what's that doing? Well, it's, you know, giving you a little bit more oxygen when you're running for your life. And, you know, in this bidirectionality that we appreciate now of the nervous system, if those muscles are tightening, then they're telling the brain, hey, I'm doing something like that running stuff where I use these muscles. In other words, we use those muscles when we're running for our lives, and that's kind of when they're supposed to be used. Those ribs are kind of supposed to just float there, and everything's supposed to stay pretty relaxed. And then, you know, shusta happens, you get startled, and you... <gasps> lift up right there and it lifts the top of your lungs and now you get just a little bit more air so that if you have to run for your life you've got just a little tiny bit more goods and groceries to get through the event well if this nervous system thing is a bidirectional event and those muscles have a habituation of tightening then they can easily every time they might get the message to relax stretch you know don't be so tight they could say no no hold, get more air for some danger, well, that would feed back to the brain and say, well, I'm in a sympathetic kind of thing. And shouldn't you take another breath rather than let this parasympathetic kind of like longer exhale happen? And rather than explain all of that, Peter just said, you know, there's this tightening that happens as you start to exhale. And maybe we just see if we can try to not do that. See if we can try to like relax around there as we let go. And now that's that's a pretty heavy intervention. He's coming in right there and telling somebody what you're doing is wrong. You know, like you're doing something and I want you to change what you're doing. And, you know, you might do that sometimes. You very might well might do it all the time. I don't know. But 
at some level in this, once we get to that thing where the pendulum is free to be itself and it's swinging on its own and it's involuntary and we're permissive and watching it, well, once we get to that gold standard of pendulation being more organic, we kind of don't want to have people telling themselves what to be doing in order to have that effect take place. We want them to be more observational and, and watching that happen rather than telling themselves how to relax and win. And we also kind of don't necessarily want a person to think that we have all the answers to how they're supposed to put their attention. We're hoping, I suppose, for a bit more curiosity between us all. So that direct instruction of what to do in order to get the pendulum to go is sometimes a little bit of a priming more for us establishing that we have all the answers rather than that we're going to co-discover what seems to happen of its own and isn't that interesting what wants to happen a third reason to be somewhat cautious here is if you tell somebody that what they're doing is wrong even very subtly in this way of like do that this other way you kind of set up a little bit of the potential of triggering their own sympathetic reaction against you now that's not going to happen with peter at esalen in front of a crowd of folks you know it might happen for you and me we don't have exactly the same amount of prestige where any any instruction that we might give is going to get all kinds of deference for him in a way that for you and I it's not going to get and so the more we tell people what to do the more we are also telling people the way you're doing it is wrong and whereas that can both undermine their confidence in being willing to participate with their own experience without our level-headed judgment you know what would what would twig say I should do here we don't want that we want like oh what am I noticing next kind of thing and furthermore, we, we don't want them kind of sitting over there going like, she thinks I'm stupid or, you know, well, well, screw you then. I can't just relax that. If I could just relax that, I already would have. Yeah. And that's the thing. Telling somebody just to do something that they're differently than what they're already doing at this involuntary, very deep level, it's not easy to do. And it's not necessarily something that you just say, Okay, so now you're tight there. Let's get the pendulum swinging by have you not be tight there. Hmm, okay, well, thanks. That's going to be easy. Of course, that's why pendulation isn't the all. It isn't the only thing. There are lots and lots and lots of steps that are all going to be connected, and pendulation is going to be a critical one, like getting that glow in making a fire or, you know, getting the getting the band just just together just right so now it can explode out there and do what was never going to happen otherwise so then you can go into these elements of experience is this going to pendulate and then you can ask well what do i have to do in order to encourage it to pendulate and i don't know if everybody goes for this but i think I think in my world we have some I have a standard I definitely have a standard that I'm I'm looking ultimately for as much of this sense of change and associated change from one thing to the next as with the pendulation that ideal of pendulation that that is more or less something that is clearly something that happens of its own something that 
I have to do less and less to affect it being obvious that this is relating to that and this is changing from that to the next thing, this to the next thing. And so, you know, there's a certain kind of maybe I would prefer organic pendulation and maybe you do too, like the sense that, wow, this really is involuntary. And on the other side, to get over to organic pendulation, there is this idea that we might have to do a lot of things, including get all the way down to the nitty gritty of let's do this and not that. Okay, now let's do that and not this. And like really stepping it up and telling exactly how to move the attention in order to prime the pendulation. And it's true, there's a lot of nuance of moving from a directed managed pendulation to an organic allowance pendulation. But once one of those happens where you can see, oh, the system, oh, they got excited and we were able to pendulate that down and quiet them down, or, oh, it got tense in, in her left shoulder and we were able to balance the attention by noticing the right shoulder, then noticing the left shoulder, then noticing the right shoulder, then the left, and doing that a couple times more or less at their own pace until they notice that, wow, you know, the left shoulder, it's like equalizing. Oh, wow, now it's starting to pulse. Now, starting to pulse would be the better sign of it moving toward the organic kind of side of things. But anyway, this directed movement of attention is a kind of managed thing. Well, once you get some sense of pendulation of, oh, it was more than it was less. Oh, it was here and then it was there. On the managed side or the organic side, you could be tempted listening to somebody like me or somebody like you who's like, wow, I really have to get this to pendulate. You know, somebody, somebody like me who, who went and got a little pendulation tattoo, very small, um, just a limnoscape, a figure eight infinity symbol, but parts of it are darker and parts of it are lighter right along my wrist, right on the inner side of my wrist, just so that in session I could, I could remind myself pendulation. It's like, it's the key. I'm, I'm, that it's going to pendulate. I got to be with this, except, you know, it's not always going to pendulate, right? It's sometimes going to get so confused. It's going to repeat itself. So you might have to do stuff to help it happen, et cetera, et cetera. All of this is in here. But if you put from that, you, me, if we make then the ideal pendulation, that's all that needs to happen. We will end up with this little ember simply going out. So let me tell you a few ways that we can see that going out. Like it just, you know, John's gone and the band, you know, you just people, we just don't go keep going, listening to the Beatles. And we do, we go back, but we don't, we don't, you know, everybody, you know, I grew up with Paul McCartney, not with the Beatles. Look at this. If you don't have pendulation, you're never going to get where you're trying to go. If you rely on, oh, it's just the pendulum and that's all that needs to happen, now I can kind of let go of responsibility of what happens with this pendulation. Well, sure enough, it could go in the right way if it's really organic and it's, oh, now it just went to tingling. Oh, it moved down my arms. Oh, my my fingers feel this vibration. Oh, now it's all just washing out. I don't, it's all kind of gone now. And you think to yourself, wow, see how smart the 
intelligent the organism is. It just moves right through. It's organic intelligence. Yes, it is, Steve Hoskinson. It's organic intelligence. It just moves right through. Except, of course, we all know, as does Stephen Hoskinson, that so many times it won't simply do that until we help it attend to itself in a way that it would see the option of doing that. Which is to say, once we get the pendulum swinging, now we're liberating some energy. Now this repetitive tension pattern is, is kind of doing something. And now the, the muscles are starting to, ex or this, the, what's tense is starting to expand and the muscles are starting to organize to do something. And there are choice points inside of here of whether or not we're ready to try to use the momentum in any one single element of experience that we have investigated to see if we can see the pendulation process inside of that, this darkness. Am I going to investigate that or ask about something else? Okay, I'm going to investigate it. All black or something else? All dark or anything else in there? Uh, it's, maybe there's like some little, it's like little speckles or something. Oh, there's little speckles where they weren't going to notice the speckles unless you asked for the differentiation question there, right? And now the speckles, you decide, am I going to try to get that to pendulate or am I going to move out of this? Yeah, there's discernment here. Okay, now you move in and you, you keep the, okay, well, let's pay attention to the, let's notice the black and, and let the black be there. But, but also you, you notice these sparkles, like, what do you mean sparkles? Like, how do you see those? Where do you see those? And you ask more questions trying to lean the attention. That's one way to do it. I could just say, look directly at the sparkles. I could ask, what do you mean about the sparkles? Which invites a person to pay more attention about the sparkles. Different choices there and also different amounts of direction, I suppose. Well, as you eventually get to where, oh, the it's like the sparkles are like pendulating their, um, maybe they're, they're swirling, they're moving, they're vibrating, they're growing. Oh, now it's like dark and light oscillating. Who knows? Now, now you have to think to yourself, well, now we are liberating this energy and we're still trying to follow the general process or pattern of pendulation, particularly the pattern of the arousal cycle, the activation cycle. And just liberating a bunch of energy and hoping that the system is going to know what to do with it could be that it does. It really could. And someday, hopefully, there's more organization and more self-regulation self that would help move that energy through the arousal cycle, get some satisfaction, hit those thresholds, as it were, and then deactivate. Well, with guidance, it may do that with on its own. It might do it on its own. It might need sincere guidance of like, okay, there's a little bit more of that. There's a little bit less of this. Oh, let's pay attention to this. It might need you to abandon the effort very early on and find the quickest route out of it. Oh, it goes, it's tight on your left shoulder. You go to your right, you go to the left, and then it starts to equalize. Okay, well now the starting to equalize from the managed pendulation of that example I used before. Now this managed pendulation, you're, the, you get this, you know, client comes back and they report, wow, yeah, I noticed that it's not the same, it's changing, it's like equalizing. At that moment, you could think to yourself, am I going to try to follow this into the energy of that pendulation? Like, what does else does that want to do? Are we going to try to 
All right, it equalizes as you notice that what happens next. Keep following it, or maybe you just get that change. And you say, oh, wow, that was, a, that, was a, that was an example of the pendulum. Wait a second. This is a person with a tightness on their left side, and it almost always attracts their attention. And I was able to help bring their attention to the other side, and then they were able to go back and forth, noticing both sides, one after the next. And then eventually I, I could ask them if they noticed the difference, and then they said, well, yeah, it's not the same. It's more like it's equal. It's like changing well, I could follow that, changing how we could just see, does that energy go somewhere else? Or I could say, is this a, an exit? Is this an exit? Did we just establish that there's a difference by, by, and we didn't really do much. I mean, we just kind of moved the attention a little bit, but that was a little bit of a change. I should get out of here. And we could be like, wow, you notice it a little bit different, huh? Well, how about that? Any, any easier to kind of like turn the attention and come back out or pay attention to something else? You see what I'm saying? That all because you get some pendulation happening doesn't mean that the choir is singing. It doesn't mean that the fire is assured. It doesn't mean that the ideal has taken place. It means that the next step along a broader process that you, you, dear listener, you must be invested in. You must be, you are years invested in this. You are at these trainings. You are listening to all these wise people. You are reading these books. You are receiving these sessions. You are investing so much in this. This is a process to learn. And you can't just, you know, push the swing and walk away and hope everything's going to be okay. There will be guidance on what you do with the attention afterwards to ensure that the pendulation continues to transform itself in a way that includes other essentially enfolding pendulations in a way like how Stephen Hoskinson often says waves come in sets and so pendulations kind of exist inside one another including the tension from one part of my body or experience to some shift also exists within the rise and fall of the activation cycle in general that kind of holds that element of experience. And you're trying to establish, I would say, some place when you try to get down, like, what am I trying to do? You're trying to establish that pattern, that pattern. You're trying to help the nervous system remember that pattern. Activation, deactivation. There's hundred different ways that you can stimulate that and eventually you're hoping that the system is expressing more and more of that in a more and more autonomous way and you getting to do less and less or having to do less and less to help it complete that process as an organic natural this to that and now it's different and with that nope I'll say it's not enough if you get it pendulating but it sure does make all the difference it sounds so good and it'll keep you warm and give you all kinds of job satisfaction as you go to the next step okay that is twig talking to you about pendulation in his perspective here for now <laughs> for now i'm waving to you take good care bye-bye now Here's an adapted tracking twig moment. I want to tell you about two two things that I know about coming up that I've I've actually mentioned on Twig's SE Reflections podcast before, but one of them 
I got an email about a NARM introduction in December. I think it's December 18th. NARM, um, which is Larry Heller's developmental trauma model. I would say that's how I would name it now. And Brad Kammer is giving a webinar introduction to that. And I actually did that last week with him. It's a two-hour thing on developmental trauma and the NARM model and um, interpersonal psychobiology kind of inter inter influence, very SE-oriented and a very good distinction between shock trauma and developmental trauma, which I'm really keen on making that distinction. And I think that Brad is far, far better at it and much more informed. And I want to recommend this little two-hour webinar that he does. So I'll leave a I'll leave a link on my the show notes for this episode, episode 65, liberationispossible.org, Twigs SE Reflections, episode 65. And um, and I think he's going to continue to do those in the early next year, and, and I just recommend it. And then the second one was from the SE SETI Institute, Trauma Institute, SE Trauma Institute, and it's about their disaster preparedness, SE like community relief classes, and they've got a whole slew of those coming up in the early part of 2016, all over, all along the around the country. And and I've said this before in the natural disasters episodes that like that's one of the best uses of our SE skills is that we can make ourselves available to our communities in in times of when people really you know can't can't but be helped by by somebody who has a sense of how to do some good for them. So um, maybe check those out. I'll leave a link for that as well. Or you could just go to the SETI website and look for the for the preparedness classes. I look forward to taking one of those sometime when I can get in there. Okay, take care, y'all. Bye now. <laughs>